Only on a Sunday, a podcast about more than church. Welcome to the Only on a Sunday podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm joined by my wife, Kristen. Hi. This season, we are focusing on deconstructing church, where the church has been and where it is going. In this episode, we are talking about the current models of church, how the church is organized, what methods it uses, and the metrics it uses to define success. As we do, we will hopefully come to a better understanding of why the church is the way it is and how we can move forward. Well, uh, honey, Mm -hmm. we have started every episode with a funny ministry story. I shared my In the Secret and Making Out, and you shared your confetti cannon. So it is now time to roll back around to you for a funny ministry story. So uh, ready, set, go. All right. So this one is so funny. We were having, I think it was called summer nights. It was like on a Sunday night in the summertime. It's a beautiful evening. And we were having kind of like a picnic, barbecue, games, event thing for people in our church. And of course, invite a friend, that kind of thing. So as we were setting up, we had speakers out you know, blasting onto the lawn to have a fun atmosphere. And I really love ambiance and all those things. So I had put together a playlist that was, you know, the perfect playlist, upbeat and Christian, but upbeat and happy. So anyway, I was very proud of my playlist and I was getting it all set up. And at the time we were using Spotify, but we did not have a membership. So our Spotify had ads and I'm getting it all set up. The Spotify songs are playing. It's really fun, fun atmosphere. Dave Crowder song ends. And then all of a sudden the ad comes up and it's like, and it's talking about how (laughs) Trojan condoms this is PG-13. Come on. <laughs> Trojan condoms will make your night so much better. <laughs> I am upstairs. I'm on the second floor of our church building and I ran. I or no, I the the computer was upstairs. I was downstairs. I'm hearing this commercial playing on the speakers and I ran like flat out as fast as I could. And by the time I got upstairs, the whole commercial had played. So the lesson that we learned was it's worth it to pay for your Spotify subscription. Okay. So you're, you're forgetting because I was there and uh-huh. it was hilarious and everyone looked at you immediately, oh, right? Oh my Trojan gosh. man. And then oh, you know, my gosh. I have never seen you so red in your entire life. But what you, the little part of the story that you forgot to mention is that we were doing salsa dancing at the time. Uh, I, I don't, yeah, I seem to remember it was the salsa dancing. So we brought someone in to teach everybody how to do salsa dancing. So we were doing salsa dancing and then, you know, we had like, but as it was coming, 
we had some music going on. So yeah, it was it was probably the most embarrassing moments in your ministry career. <laughs> uh, certainly, well, certainly. Nobody ever let me live it down. So yes. everybody would be like, "Yeah, Kristen, remember that Spotify commercial?" Yes. So yes, I was so, never allowed to do the playlist again. And we immediately subscribed to Spotify. <laughs> and so for all of my blonde friends out there, we call that a blonde moment. Uh-huh. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Whatever. Certainly. Well, this episode, we are going to piggyback a little bit on what we talked about in the third episode of the season where we discussed the hoi polloi. And uh, going to really hit things from the perspective of the reaction of the church to the hoi polloi. In that episode, we talked about the crowds and how the crowds engage Jesus because they want something. And that's very different than discipleship. And you have consumer Christians and, and all of those things that we talked about. Mm-hmm. So today we're going to talk about the reaction of the church to that. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, what's happening in the church today is not necessarily like the leadership of the church is saying, this is the way it's going to be. And the people are coming alongside of that. It's kind of a symbiotic relationship, right? You you, mm-hmm. you have the people in the pew, the crowds are a certain way and the church kind of reacts to that that way. And so the term that I've used and, and you've used to describe the way the church is today, a metaphor is country club Christianity. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get there in a few minutes and talk a little bit about what we mean by that and mm-hmm. how we're using that term. But it's really a lot of, you know, I mean, that's a great way to describe it. So I was going to get started here by just kind of giving a little bit of the history of the American church, a little jaunt down history lane, and talk a little bit about how we've gotten here. But before I do Mm -hmm. that, babe, was there anything you wanted to talk about with the country club Christianity? No, I think we're going to get there at the end. You are a very good teacher and a professor. So I hope everybody is buckled up with their notebook for a big old history lesson. Yes, this is your favorite thing, isn't it? Like you love. It's my favorite. Yep. Oh, yeah. Just can't get enough of this. Okay, and if you're listening out there and don't know us very well, that is sarcasm. <laughs> okay, uh, so here we go. We got, we got. How, how did we get to Chris, Country Club Christianity? Well, we kind of need to go back to colonial times. Uh, here we seven, go. Seventeen hundreds, right? So we got three hundred years of history here, which I'm gonna only take do in a about hours. Yeah, I'm gonna do in about five minutes. But basically, the <laughs> the church that you saw in colonial times was really made up of three branches. You had the Anglicans, which uh, you know might also be the Episcopalians, but this was the Church of England, and so. For anyone that knows their history, you know, you had a lot of people from England coming over and obviously they brought their religion with them, Church of England. Well, you also had the Presbyterians who were, you know, kind of descendants of the Reformation. So they were a very big grouping at the time. And then you had the Congregationalists. So there's these three denominations that are really the center of church life. Now, in the colonial period, it was much like you even see today in Italy, where if you've ever drive through the Italy countryside and you see the villages, one of the things that first jumps out at you, to you is you see a Catholic church in the center of town. And then the whole town or really village is built around 
this church. Well, in colonial days, it was similar. You had that, you know, little church building typically in the center of town, somewhere towards the center of town, and everyone came to it on Sunday morning. Now, the reason was is because when the towns and villages were founded, it was typically a homogenous group. The Presbyterians founded this city. They were all the same. They all happened to be together. So there was really only one church that was needed. We're all Presbyterians. We're all Mm -hmm. Congregationalists. We're all Anglicans. So there wasn't two churches in a town. There wasn't a multiplicity of churches, one church, one town. And then everybody that lived there is on the membership roll. So you had 100% (laughs) membership in towns. Now, if you actually look at the history, you actually find out that it was only about 17% of the population was actually in attendance at church services. Mm. So the whole idea that, you know, everybody was a Christian and everybody was going to church is is a bit of a fallacy, but it is true that everybody was on the membership rolls. Mm -hmm. So that's what you have going on in colonial times. Well, you know, you fast forward through the revolution and, and you're now starting to come to the expansion of America, specifically with the Louisiana Purchase. So you've moved from this just kind of East Coast, 13 colonies, 13 states, not much has changed in those areas. And now this whole twice the size of the U.S. is opened up and everyone starts fleeing and moving into getting new land. Well, what happens is the three main churches, the Anglicans, the Presbyterians and the Congregationalists, they can't keep Mm. up with the expansion. Hmm. Because there are too many churches that are necessary and their model of ministry was send someone to seminary, which is where you get the Ivy Leagues, Harvard, Hmm. Princeton, Yale, those things originally seminary. Hmm. So you send them to seminary for two, three years, highly educated people. And then when a new town or village springs up or a pastor dies somewhere, a rector, something like that, then a new person is installed. Yeah. But what you have is the expansion of the church into the Louisiana Purchase area, you know, the Manifest Destiny, is you have all of these new villages, all of these new towns popping up, and they they just can't train them fast enough. Mm. Which really, in a lot of denominations today, you have that same problem, because we are so dependent on education the need for churches is greater than our ability to train people, which is why you see population growth growing exponentially, but you see the church growth kind of has leveled off and tapered off. Well, if we expect every pastor to have a three-year degree, well, you're never going to More than up. three years. Yeah, or whatever it is. You, you can't mm-hmm. keep up. And so this is exactly what happened. So then you see the rise of the Baptists and the Methodists. They have a different model. So they start raising up local people, the farmers, the shopkeepers, very little education, but they love Jesus. They're committed to the church. And they start Mm -hmm. putting them as heads of these little towns and villages of people. Mm -hmm. The Methodists are the prime example. So you'd have a farmer who was the head of, you know, the Methodist community. And the reason he was the head is because he knew a little bit more than everybody else. That was it. Yeah. Then they would have people that were over multiple towns who would be a little bit more trained. And so as the need for churches is expanding, the model that the Baptists and the Methodists have is able to keep up with that expansion. And then you actually see the Anglicans, the Presbyterians, and the congregations kind of all but die 
and and right. really like only high the pre- church. Yeah, the high yeah. church model. Only the Presbyterians yeah. kind of are around in these days. And so what you really see in this time is really the funnel principle. I like to call it the funnel principle. And you have, uh, you know, if you can picture a funnel, you have all this ministry and all these people, but then it goes down into the funnel, you know, where it mm-hmm. kind of comes together and only a little drop is coming out. Mm-hmm. And the funnel is the education. You have to have all of this education and understanding and training in order to be able to lead a congregation or a group of people. Mm -hmm. And what the Baptists and the Methodists did is they expanded that funnel. But what you still have in this time is your local church, one church, one village, one group of people. Mm -hmm. Well, then you continue to go and you have the industrial revolution, right? Now, all of a sudden, you're getting the rise of cities. So you would have cities Mm -hmm. before, but not in the degree that you have under the industrial revolution. So everyone's fleeing the farm because it's, you know, almost impossible to make a living on the farm anymore. And -hmm. they're fleeing into the cities. And so you have the rise of the cities and the towns. And in the church, you no longer have that single church agrarian society. Now you're moving in to a city like Chicago, St. Louis, the places in Oklahoma City, and you start to move away from the homogenous population into you now have Baptists and Quakers and Methodists and Presbyterians and all of the other offshoots of Christianity, of denominations gathering together. And this is where you start to see the marketplace Christianity come into play. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you Mm -hmm. start to have the community church model take root. Right. Okay. So the cities are growing, the towns are growing, the villages are growing. And now you're having multiple churches in multiple towns. And what happens when you have multiple churches in multiple towns? You get competition. Right. Yeah, that's very true. And this is where you begin to see the advent of ministries. So Mm -hmm. up to this point, you can really look at it with children's ministry. Up to this point, children's ministry does not exist. Youth ministry does not exist. The whole idea that the adults have their service and the youth go off and do their own thing and the children go off and play games and do that, like that does not exist. Families go to church together. Now, I grew up in the Catholic church and you would go to church. There was no children's ministry or youth ministry. You sat down next to your parents and you were (laughs) quiet because if you were not quiet, the wrath of God was going to come down on you at the end of service. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you just sat there. Well, as you have the rise of the community church, you have the, the rise of the, you know, the advent of ministries. So now all of a sudden you're seeing this bifurcation of of the church. Now you're having women's ministry and men's ministry and adult ministries and Bible studies and children's ministry and youth ministry and young adult ministry and seniors ministry. And it's just the more ministries there are, the more Mm -hmm. opportunities for people to become involved. And that began to bring rise to cradle to the grave type ministry. So Mm -hmm. we as a church community, we're going to take care of you from the cradle or take care of your family from the cradle. So we're going to do baby dedications, baby baptisms, 
parenting classes and we're going to mm-hmm. take care of you all the way until you die. So even after you die, we're still going to serve you. We're going to mm-hmm. have, you know, your memorial service, your wakes. We're going to donate money to the charity of your choice. Hopefully it's us as a church, but we're going to do those types of things, right? And you began having very building-centric congregations. The life of the community revolved mm-hmm. around the building. Mm-hmm. So it moved away from the agrarian culture, one town, you know, one church, uh, we meet in homes, we do that, and it all became building centric. So then what began to happen is the one with the best building wins, right? So whoever mm-hmm. has the best fellowship hall, all that, you know, what you're still seeing at the time is churches are still very sectarian. Okay. So you have the middle class church, you have the high church, you know, small business uh, person, uh, you have still, you know, the African American church, the Hispanic church, the white church, the, you know, it's still very, mm-hmm. very sectarian. And this is the model that dominated from the early 1800s into the 1900s, even with the rise of Pentecostalism. Pentecostal still took over this kind of community church model. So mm-hmm. if you go to any older Pentecostal church, you'll always see like A-frame church with a parking lot of like four. And it's just basically a huge seminary with like a little nursery, uh, a huge sanctuary with a little nursery on right. the side. Yes. Uh-huh. So this is the model that's dominating through the 1970s. Well, then we come into the 1980s and you begin to have Reaganomics, right? The rise of capitalism. We've defeated Russia. Socialism is dead. Capitalism is the way, <laughs> depending on who you talk to, God has, you know, okay. it's God's let's, economy, yeah, all that. Yeah. Take it easy, right? Babe. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, Now, with the rise of uh, capitalism, yeah, we're blessed. Hashtag blessed, right? Oh, boy. So with the rise of capitalism, you begin to have this whole idea of bigger is better, and that sort of infiltrates and makes its way into the church. So you have guys like Bill Hybels and Rick Warren. Hybels out of Mm -hmm. Chicago, Rick Warren out of uh, Orange County. They're really good guys, but they start becoming the figureheads or the face of this mega church model, right? Mm-hmm. So the basic idea behind the mega church model is bigger is better. Yeah. More ministries, better ministries, bigger budgets, more staff. If we do the community church model better and bigger, we will reach more more people. More people. Mm-hmm. And that's the basic idea behind the mega right. church. The mega church is simply a community church 2.0. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which is, is isn't that interesting? Because it's really that's not an argument that you can fight really. Cause I understand the heart behind it. You know, I think those guys, I mean, I've heard Rick Warren speak on on a number of occasions and he's really solid. Like I've enjoyed what he has to say, really. I did not enjoy Saddleback. (laughs) That's it. That's a different story, right? That's a different story. Yeah. But you can't really argue with that. And that heart of, well, we can reach more people because we can fit more people, you know, and we can offer them more. We have more to offer. So we're reaching the world. Um, I heard it once, um, like Hillsong is another just absolutely mega. What's, what's the step beyond mega, you know, 
worldwide uh-huh. brand. And I've heard them talk about their worship and the heart behind what they do in worship and those huge productions, which are run by professional, you know, media stage production people is we want to be excellent. We want the things that we present to the Lord to be excellent, which I can't argue with that because I want what I take to the Lord to be excellent as well. So it is, it takes, I don't know. It's like a lot of maybe discernment to really sift out what is really God asking us to do, right? Like is having this grand concert style production in the name of giving an excellent offering to the Lord. Is that, is that kingdom? Is that, is that what the Lord had in mind? I, you know, it's, it's gonna, it's hard. No, it really is. But, you know, you really have to think about things because when the megachurch model is on the rise, right, prior to 1970, the concept of a megachurch is like it's it's an outlier. There's a few, you know, you had some Sunday school type churches in Texas that were really large. But, you know, everything in Texas is big, right? So it doesn't really yeah, count. Yeah, right. Right. But after the 1970, into the 1980s and for what we see now, it's like the megachurch is the norm. And, and not only is the megachurch the norm, but it's the goal. Mm-hmm. Right? It's it's you got to get to a thousand. That's the metric by which we gauge success. But as the 80s are coming and into the 90s, what you're seeing in the culture economically is the rise of big box capitalism, right? So you're seeing Best Buy come in, Walmart come in, mm-hmm. you know, Hobby Lobby. I know it's a little bit more recent, but that kind of thing, Lowe's, Home Depot, and they're moving into an area and you walk into this thing and you're like, oh my God, this is the best store. I mean, do you remember the first time you walked into Costco, right? Right. It's just like, I could live here. This is fabulous, right? Yeah. And so imagine how church leaders are thinking about things when they walk into Costco and Mm -hmm. Best Buy and like, oh my gosh, we could do this with the church. And in the same way that Best Buy came in, Lowe's came in, it put out of business all the small mom and pop local shops. Right. Your main street is gone, right? Main street's gone. All that is the mm-hmm. rise of the strip mall with your corner, you know, your kind of cornerstone store. So you have this huge strip mall, you put Best Buy in the middle of it, a CVS, and you have all of these other little random shops. And every shopping center is the same, no matter where you go, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter. It really Isn't doesn't matter. Crazy? It's all it's the all same. The same. Yep. Yeah. And so the other thing that you begin to see with the rise of the big box capitalism is you see the rise of the superstar CEO. Mm -hmm. So before that, you had guys like Rockefeller and Getty and things like that, that were like the big Everybody knew who they were. Yeah, Carnegie. Yeah, Carnegie, stuff like Mm -hmm. that. But they were definitely, again, the outlier. So Mm -hmm. when you start coming into the 90s, you start seeing the superstar CEO. He's the one who has the grand vision. You know, typically in those times, it was it was a male. Mm-hmm. He has the grand vision. Look what he's created. He's he's basically the Nimrod of his day. And so you see the same thing begin to happen in the mega churches where it's pastor centric. He's, mm. he's he's written multiple books. He's on TV. 
he has he's big doing muscles. his he's doing his big big <laughs> muscles and he i mean he really looks like you know he should do headshots for some hollywood movie and you start to see this in the rise of the mega churches, whereas mm-hmm. in the community church model, it's really building oriented and community oriented. It's not mm-hmm. so much the guy or, you know, the, the lady who's the pastor. That's not the draw of the community church model. Mm-hmm. But in, in the mega church model, that is the draw. And then with the rise of the mega church, you saw the rise of church branding. Mm. where we now have logos, we have mm-hmm. marketing tools, because in the megachurch model, you're not bringing people to Jesus, you're bringing people to a church or an organization, right? right. You're we only are, bringing them to your building. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that's, that's kind of what happens. So, so we're, we're doing that in the eighties, the nineties into the early two thousands. Well, then in about the 2010s or so, you start to have a reaction on a, on a grander scale towards that mega church model. And it is a reaction that we're seeing socially from especially kind of the millennial Gen Z is we want to get away from big cities and mass production. And we want to go back to the land. We want to have farms. We want to make our own kombucha, like, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, that same reaction has happened towards the megachurch. So you see the rise of the home church Mm -hmm. and the rise of the home church is really to a lot of degree, a reaction to the megachurch. This is too much. We don't want this. This can't be church. We're not doing this production. And so you're seeing more and more people starting to gather in homes, right? Now, the thing with the home church is the home church is really just a smaller version of the community church. Okay, Mm -hmm. so instead of drums and a bass player and electric guitar, now we just do worship in a home with a couple of guitars and a singer or everyone gathers around the piano. It's still basically the same church. We come together, we do a couple of worship songs, someone shares, and then, you know, maybe we pray for one another at the end. Mm -hmm. It's still the community church kind of model. The Mm -hmm. big difference that is kind of put forth or propagated is the idea that the early church met in houses. Mm. And so this makes us a more pure form of Christianity because we're going back to the early church model. So that's one of the draws of the home church. Okay. Um, And it's also the draw of the home church is you feel like you're in a space now that's a little bit more authentic. That's a that's a key word when it comes to home churches is authenticity. Mm -hmm. Right. We can be more authentic and Mm -hmm. we can get deeper into kind of what we're doing. But on kind of a meta scale of the home church, Mm -hmm. the home church still exists for the people in the church. Mm -hmm. It has not yet gone out into the community, right? Now, right. there to all of these three models, the community church, the mega church, the house church, there are always those outliers and those exceptions, right? But what, what I'm trying to talk about is the general dynamic is you have these three basic models, house church, community church, mega church. They're all the same thing, okay? The community mm-hmm. church is kind of that standard. It was the first, then you have the offshoots of that, the mega church model, which is community church 2.0, and then the house church, which is the reaction to the mega church. But mm. fundamentally, all of these churches exist for the benefit of their members. 
That's why they exist. So now we yeah. come in to the idea of country club Christianity. Then you can begin to see this as you look back at the history of the Western church. Yeah. Country clubs exist for the benefit of their members. Mm-hmm. That's why they were designed. That's why they were founded. And that's why they exist. Well, so, can I jump in like with the house church thing? I would say the reason that it is still pretty much the same as a community church is you hear the members saying the same kinds of things as they would say, you know, let's say at our church, right? Our old church. So I come here because I I feel like I get fed. I come here because I really like what pastor so-and-so has to say. I come here because my friends come here, right? So fundamentally, when you're talking, there's nothing like wrong with a home church. But when you're talking to the members, I think you're still hearing those things that are, you know, the reasons that they go there are the same as you would go to a smaller community church, right? Yeah, it's all that we talked about in episode Mm -hmm. three. You still have the consumer mentality, right? I'm going to go someplace where my needs are met. And whether that's a mega church and my need is to not know anyone (laughs) and to be, you know, just kind of invisible and I can kind of come in, eat my Jesus meal and kind of go and Mm -hmm. everyone leaves me alone. Or my need is ministries for my family my need is you know it's just like a more personal touch whatever it is it's all the same basic principles yeah. and and this is the model of the church that has grown through 250 years of kind of american history western church history and this is where we find ourselves today which is with the country club church so what I'd love to do now is just kind of really talk about the country club church. And I think as you're listening, you'll be able to see if you've been part of church at all, like you'll just be shocked at <laughs> they're exactly the same thing. Yeah. Now they you are. and I, this summer, we had the opportunity to join our local town's country club and mm-hmm. we won't say the name. It's been a wonderful opportunity. Mm-hmm. We've, we've enjoyed. They've been wonderful people. We are not wealthy. We, we don't have any money any more than anyone else. So please don't think like somehow, you know, we came into grandma died and we got a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, it was just kind of gifted to us for a little while. And, uh, but it's been very interesting to see from the inside of oh, yes. the country club and how many times we've sat by the pool and just shaken our head and said, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm in church right now. I mean, it's happened. <laughs> yeah, it's happened. Um, yep. So let's talk a little bit about the country club. Are you ready? Yes. So the first thing that you see about a country club is the country club exists to keep its members happy. Mm-hmm. That's why it exists. And the way that a country club does this is by the classes that they offer. So our country club offers Pilates, mm-hmm. spin class, mm-hmm. and, you know. Uh, I mean, everything. You, you, you know better, it? honey, because you take like eight classes a day (laughs) yeah kickboxing i wish yeah what what are the classes that our country 
I mean, it's like, you know, kickboxing and boot camp and you could take a swim class. You can take a walking class, kind of like more aerobic classes. They've got, well, and then they have events, right? So yeah, they have movie night for kids and families. They've got like a wine night. Um, They've got all kinds of social events, right? In the evenings. And they always encourage you like bring a friend, Right. So the way you grow the country club and counteract, we call it natural attrition, right? People moving away or deciding it's not in our budget anymore, whatever, right? Is you invite your friends, like, come see how great this spin class is. Like, come with me. It's super fun. Come with me. Let's do family movie night. It's super fun. And so that's how they grow their members. And they'll also grow membership through like new construction. Look at, we added this whole new building and it's state of the art dance floor. And you can take a bar class and it's like, you'll be skinnier than anybody because our floor is just amazing, right? Whatever those ads would be. But that's another way they can grow their membership. You can get free trials. You can just check it out. No, um, what is it? No, like no pressure, no commitment. Just come and see how you like it. Is this sounding familiar? I know, <laughs> I mean, right? We're leading the witness, obviously. This is so transparent. But yeah, there's brochures with everything we have to offer. Yeah, so if you were to just take the 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 list that you that you gave and you just kind of transfer that through church lens, right? So the the country club has just a plethora of classes for all ages, for all groups, and half the classes aren't even promoting what you're actually doing in the class. They're promoting like the tribe or the group of people you're going to meet, okay? So now translate that into church speak. Look at all the ministries we have. We have kids and we have youth and you can be a part of this. And oh my gosh, we have a crafting thing for ladies. And and so in the church, you see the exact same thing. We call them ministries. The country club calls them classes, right? It's the exact same thing. Then how do churches grow? By the latest, greatest event. You got to come to our our summer nights because we have bounce houses and we have a band and we're doing salsa dancing and we the taco mm-hmm. guy came out and I, I can't tell you how many times I walked into the country club and they're doing the exact same thing right totally. wine and wine and cheese night now I now if I could go back to pastoring I would have more wine and cheese nights <laughs> for sure I think our church would have been much much larger if we had some wine and cheese nights. But um, we're having all of these events. And the whole purpose of the country club having these events is for their members, right? Mm Kind of come and look at all these things we're doing for you. Look at all the ways that we're serving you. Oh, do you have kids and families come into our swimming night? You know, these types of things. Well, then the next thing they have is, you know, growing through buildings and constructions. Well, how often do you see that one of the draws to churches building new construction when they go to their congregation to build it is like, think of how many more new people will be able to reach because we spent $1.5 million on this building, 
right? Yeah. Or we're going to blow out the sanctuary. We're going to do new construction because think of how many new people can fit in. That's exactly the same thing country clubs do. Then -hmm. you have the free trials, right? So what do we do to bring people into church, right? Come on, just check it out. There's no pressure. You don't have to join anything. Oh, you want to walk through the church? Let's do a little tour. Look at, you have this Mm -hmm. over here and you have the children's wing and, oh, let me introduce you to sister so-and-so. You have a visitor gift. Yeah, right. And then after you leave, you get some nice little note from the country club. You know, thank you for joining us. We sure do hope we can serve your needs in the future. And then they send you a pie, right? Right. Something along those lines. Now, you also look at the country club exists for the membership, okay? Mm -hmm. But in what ways does the country club engage outside of its walls? Yeah. Well, and that's another thing that you see in the country club environment is it is extremely exclusive, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't get in unless you have a membership card, but it's like it's enclosed, right? Mm -hmm. So you walk through the gates. It's this kind of special environment inside. And, but that's how it's supposed to be. That's exactly how it's supposed to be. So they do, I mean, they kind of reach out. They'll go to like, um, I mean, not that we're having them right now with COVID, but maybe like a community fair with a pop-up tent and brochures and like, come check us out, learn more about us. They would do like a food drive, canned food, dry goods for a local food pantry that's considered, you know, like outreach and it's good, not PR, that's kind of the wrong word for it, but it, it spreads goodwill, right? Like, oh, you're that you're that club over there that was really kind and you collected all that stuff. But, you know, the interesting thing about food drives and coat drives and adopt a family for Christmas and send a shoe box around the world, not that those are bad things because they're great things. I would encourage you to do them. The thing is, though, that sending a shoe box poses absolutely no inconvenience to me or my lifestyle. I do not have to die to myself to send a shoebox, right? And and that sounds really, I guess that sounds really harsh, but, oh, I just feel so strongly about this, that we've talked about it in other episodes, but where have we gotten as the American church, like capital C, people of God, where we can't put ourselves out for the sake of the gospel, So, you know, one of those big things that's close to my heart is foster care and adoption and those kids. And we've we've worked with organizations and we're in the process of maybe becoming certified and exploring all of that. But it's like there would be no foster care crisis if believers open their homes to kids. But all you hear is, oh, but what about my own kids? And oh, but, you know, that's just so hard. And that's the thing about the kingdom, right? Like Jesus isn't calling us to be country club members who send shoeboxes when it's cute and Christmassy. That's not the kingdom. And the other thing about country clubs, I guess the last thing we would say is country clubs don't start new ones. They don't send. No, they don't. <laughs> they don't send 20 of their members to the next town to say, oh, we're going to start a new country club, right? It's not a multiplying process. It's an expanding. Their goal is to get their club with as many members as possible, right? 
Yes. There's very much so, the fiefdom mentality, right? right. Is, is like, this is our fiefdom and we're going to grow it and make it as big as possible. And there's no way we don't really, we're not interested in investing in a country club somewhere else, or God forbid we would invest a country club in a poorer city, right? No way. Like that's not even a concept. But I love what you say about the way that it engages the world, right? Is I can't tell you how many pop-up tent country club things I've seen. And there's two guys standing there nicely dressed and you walk in, you're like, oh, what's this for? And they give you the spiel and all of the brochures. And then right next to them, like, is the local church, right? And it's the same exact thing. A couple of nice, really nice people. And check out the brochures to our church and, and come be a part. And I really appreciate what you said about dying to self. Because in church, we want to send shoeboxes. And we want to give our ties to missionaries somewhere else that are doing it. Mm -hmm. But don't ask me to change my lifestyle. Yeah. And in the country club, we can give shoe boxes and we can donate to different things. And it doesn't affect my spin class. Mm -hmm. Right. It doesn't affect our uh, family movie night swim. Right. It's it, mm -hmm. and if we really want to get, you know, kind of down and dirty, it's assuaging my guilt for being part of a country club. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> like look at, look at how great I have it. Mm -hmm. Look at how mm -hmm. wonderful I have it. And I'm going to give a little bit of money to help other people that don't have it so great. So have you ever heard of a missions trip that didn't include something along the lines of it made me so thankful for what I have? Right. Yeah. That's yeah. basically when, when, well, yeah, that's kind of the country club mentality, right? I'm so thankful for what I have. So I'll give my little pittance to, to different organizations. I mean, I wouldn't call it pittance because a lot of people are super generous. And I think we should do a whole episode on missions and short-term missions. <laughs> but, you know, I, I bring up foster care a lot, but I would even say, what about hospitality? It's really simply having somebody over to your home and opening up your home and, and making them feel welcome and loved for who they are. And how many people have we talked to over the years who would just never have anybody over? And that we would so encourage them like, hey, just start by having somebody over. And, you know, so what kind of place are we in? That's very true of the country club, though, right? Because who puts on the events? Oh, the country club does. The, the, the paid staff. Right. Right. And and have you ever been asked at a country club to, to like to volunteer? <laughs> Could you imagine? Like, what, what do you mean volunteer? I pay right. $800 no. a month to be no, here. Like, we, that's what I'm paying for. Yes. Right. And, yeah. And, and that's not going to work. <laughs> can, can, so before we move on to the last little bit, can you just mm -hmm. talk, because you were talking to me about like some of the things you hear people say, like their complaints about spin class oh. and, and how that's like, oh my gosh. So I, I don't want to lead the witness. But. No, it's just, yeah. But honey, you know, I don't want to make fun of people, but it no. is sometimes astounding because people are saying like, I pay for this membership. I should be able to get spin class whenever I want, right? At the time, because COVID has changed things. And so classes have been 
you know, outside and classes have been not as early as usual. Like, and I understand, like I have kids, I would go at five in the morning, but we can't right now for all kinds of reasons. Um, You know, new instructors. Well, I don't like the way that this one doesn't tell us to clock our stage and do negative splits, but I don't like the way that this one tells us, you know, so of course I'm sitting here and I, I feel a little bit like the outsider because I'm like, well, I thought it was a great class and I really liked her, you know, like, like I'm just happy to be there yeah. and spin my bike. Like that's, I'm just, that's so exciting to me. And yet when you have that kind of environment, entitlement sets in very quickly because you, you write your check. And so you have an expectation. And I know pastoring a church, we had you know, people occasionally who they wrote their tithe check. And so they had an expectation of what we would do for them, how available we would be to them, the kinds of classes we would offer or the kinds of sermons, even down to the way that the pastor's wife dressed. There was an expectation because they write a tithe check, right? Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that's just the model. That's how it's there's really no way around that unless you completely change the model. Yeah. So I, I if you're listening, I, I mean, we could talk about the parallels between a country club and your, you know, the, the typical church. I mean, we could talk about this for hours. We could just go on and on and on about all of the similarities. But I think I wanted to end our time by asking you, Kristen. So we, we've talked a little bit about kind of where we are, country club Christianity, how we mm-hmm. got there, what it looks like. So where's the hope? You know, what What would you say to someone who's like, oh, my gosh, I totally see that. And to be honest, if you're like me, oh, my gosh, I've totally been a part of that. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about somebody else. I'm talking about not only was I a country club member, but I was a country club owner. <laughs> like yeah. I was on the board of directors of a country club. That's so much of what we did. That's what we did. And well-intentioned and really believing that it was the best way to do things. So what do you say to someone who sees this? Like, where do we go from here? Yeah, that's a really good question. Well, I think one answer is going to be talking about new expressions of the kingdom. And Bill Randall, our the leader of pioneering initiatives with Novo, is doing an episode next week about all the new expressions of the kingdom and how we can get away from that. Because like we said, it's the model itself that leads you to these kinds of things and behaviors and thoughts. And, you know, I was really impacted by, there's um, Chuck Swindoll wrote a parable called Saving Lives. And he, I don't think I have time to really read the whole thing, but what he talks about is there was, a dangerous seacoast and it was notorious for shipwrecks and there was a little life-saving station and the station was only a hut with one boat but a few members were devoted to watch the sea and to rescue shipwrecks and this little band of brave people faithfully worked as a team and they saved so many sailors from shipwreck that it became a famous place and so By and by, the people who had been saved, as well as others on the coast, wanted to become associated with this rescue station. They gave their time and energy and money to support its objectives. They bought new boats. They trained new crews. 
you know, at one point it had been a little hut. Now it was actually a proper building and it was an actual station and they had expensive equipment and they had great furniture for people to rest instead of makeshift cots. And it became really kind of a popular gathering place. So eventually rescues stopped occurring because they just began to gather. So fewer members of this rescue station were interested in the hard task of braving the ocean to go on life-saving missions. So they started hiring crews to do the work. And even though they weren't really doing the work anymore, they didn't forget the original intention, the life-saving motifs were still prevalent on the walls. They had posters made. And eventually, a large ship was wrecked off the coast and the boat crews brought in loads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty. They were sick. They did not look very good. And the members of the station, which was now more of like a club, said, we can't have them coming inside. So they set up a shower outside and like a tent outside. So I just found this parable really, really impactful because it was really such a beautiful description of as the church spreading the kingdom, the church with a capital C, right? God's people. Aren't we called to be the rescue station who really gets in there and does the dirty work of, you know, being cold and wet and tired and risking, uh, risking things. Some people risk their actual lives to save people who are shipwrecked and distressed. And isn't that why Jesus came? Yet we see this amazing body has become more content, at least in the U.S., more content with, let's pay other people to do the rescuing. So I know for me, I would really like to get in there and do the work that Jesus has asked us to do. Yeah, good word, good word. So with that being said, thank you for joining us for this episode of Only on a Sunday. Next time we have the opportunity to interview Bill Randall. He is the leader of Pioneering Initiatives, a collective of Novo, which is an aspiring network of leaders and micro churches around the world who are developing creative and fresh expressions of the kingdom. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast and feel free to check out what we're doing at the LowrysOnMission.org or on our Facebook page, Lowry's on Mission. Thanks again for joining us and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.